It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Dino Vapors on the recruiting trail and Mike Hopkins on the coaching front. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Matt D'Agostino, and our guest today is Scout.com's Mike McAllister. Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate it, Wes. I always enjoy being on. Mike, I want to get you started on this one. It's been a whirlwind couple days, Syracuse picking up commitments from Liam O'Sullivan, Kenneth Ruff, and Carl Jones, but losing Demel Parker, Cam DeGeorge, and Noel Browse. What is the biggest difference between the incoming and outgoing players? It, it's all about fit, really, Wes, and you can make a direct comparison between O'Sullivan and Browse and, and Ruff and Parker. O'Sullivan kind of has a long, a longer, leaner frame than Browse does, so there's there's more room to add, uh, you know, muscular weight to his frame. He has better speed and quickness and longer arms, which are better fits for the spread system in order to run those quick screens and get out to the second level and and get downfield to provide some blocking. That's something very important to this new coaching staff when they're evaluating offensive linemen. Flipping over to the linebackers, Ruff is is a bigger linebacker at six foot three, two hundred and forty pounds already as a senior in high school compare him to Demel Parker who's only 62205 so you can see what type of a size difference there is there even though Parker's an outside backer and, and Ruff plays on the inside, it just sort of shows the philosophy of what type of a player the new staff is looking for there, putting a premium on size and physicality as opposed to that speed and, and shiftiness that Schaefer liked in order to use him off the edge a lot. So the, there's just a difference in philosophy there, a difference in scheme fit. When you look at a guy like Carl Jones, he's a bigger corner at six foot two, even though he runs very well and can run a 4'4 four four or a 4'5'40. But uh, that that's a little bit of a shift as well. Remember guys like Cordell Hudson and Antoine Cordy who were undersized defensive backs even though they were good players and talented and contributed to Syracuse. This new staff wants guys that are uh, bigger from the defensive back position, have those long arms which can help with, with their closing speed which helps deflect passes even if they're a little bit out of position or beaten in coverage. So all in all, it's really about what's the best fit for the new systems being implemented. When that happens and when a new staff takes over, there's going to be attrition in recruiting, which you've seen with the decommitments. And but part of that is, you know, Syracuse telling the kids that they didn't think that there's as good of a fit there as maybe there was with the old staff. And then you're going to have new names emerging that may not have fit before but do fit the new coach. So it's it's really all about scheme fit, and that's why you've seen so much movement lately. Mike, let's talk a little bit more about scheme fit. What about the rest of Syracuse's current commits? Is there anyone like a Sadiq Palmer or a Taylor Riggins who may flip somewhere else? Those are probably the two guys that are committed that I would look at and say are on uh, flip watch or decommitment watch. I would also throw maybe Brandon Gennetti, a 2015 holdover, as a guy that, that maybe is on decommitment watch, a defensive end prospect. Uh, he had to go to a prep school for a year due to injury issues. And then maybe even uh, Monquavian Brinson, a defensive back from Georgia. He's going to take official visits to Louisville and Indiana, and ultimately I think he's going to end up at somewhere other than Syracuse. But uh, regarding Palmer and Riggins, two other 
other names you mentioned. Uh, we haven't gotten confirmation that Palmer's been contacted by the new staff. We do know that Riggins has and that uh, Riggins was told by the new staff that they will honor his scholarship, but it seems like they don't think he's as good of a fit as maybe some other linebacker prospects that they're pursuing. So uh, the fact that they didn't have an in-home visit with either of those guys uh, or with Monquavian Brinson, that kind of tells you what they think as far as the fit for those guys go. So because of that, I think a guy like Riggins and maybe even Palmer has one of two choices. They can either look elsewhere and try to move on with a staff that feels they are a good fit or stick it out and try to prove to uh, the new coaches that, hey, you might not think I'm, I'm a good fit, but I'm going to come in and prove to you that I am, and I'm going to force you to put me on the field. So uh, ultimately, I think uh, Palmer will move on. I think he'll end up somewhere else. Riggins, I'm kind of 50-50 on. It sounds like he kind of is as well. He's still trying to figure out what he wants to do. The fact that it is the big in-state school, I think, uh, may play into, hey, I'm going to go prove those guys wrong. But uh, ultimately, I think you're going to see Palmer move on. I think you're going to see Brinson move on. I think you'll see Janetti uh, move on. And then, uh, you know, Riggins is still up in the air a little bit, something to monitor going forward. We just talked about some of the guys that are leaving Syracuse. Let's talk about some of the guys that Syracuse may get. Mike, who should we be looking out for during this dead period? Yeah, I'll give you a couple names to monitor while the dead period is going on. One is a junior college wide receiver named Alange Brooks. He's a guy that Syracuse hasn't offered yet, but they have expressed interest in. He's an early enrollee, so he's someone that uh, they might decide to move on in the next week or two. Um, they've got a, a wide receiver prospect who's committed to Purdue named Jack uh, Weyer, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and he's going to be taking an official visit this coming weekend. And even though it's a dead period, because he's an early enrollee, he actually can take that official visit despite the fact that it's a dead period. And then I'll give you some uh, uh, several more names to monitor here. Uh, on, along the offensive line, it's still going to be a priority despite the fact that they've landed some offensive line commits uh, early on in Babers' tenure. Four-star offensive tackle, Sean Foster. Three-star tackle, uh, Alaric Jackson. Those are two guys to, to monitor. And then a couple of Illinois commits. Four-star running back, Contrell Moran. And three-star defensive end, Joshua Black. Both of those guys are scheduled to take official visits the weekend of January 22nd. And I would say both are on flip watch. Virginia has a commit in wide receiver Nehru Nshaka, who Syracuse has recently offered. His primary recruiter at Virginia was Chris Beatty, who's the new Syracuse running backs coach, so keep an eye on him. Uh, another defensive back that they just offered very recently, in fact, is Marquis Smith out of Michigan, a, a three-star prospect who was committed to Cincinnati until uh, a couple of days ago. He's someone to watch. And then the last name I'll give you is Andrew Armstrong, a linebacker prospect from Ohio. He was committed to Bowling Green under the old staff. He's decommitted since they moved to Syracuse, and uh, he's going to be taking an official visit to Syracuse, probably to Wake Forest and maybe Cincinnati as well. Though, but I still think that Syracuse is a heavy favorite for him, given his extensive relationship with the new staff. So those are kind of the names that are popping up, and I suspect that more will continue to pop up as we go along here as well. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. Scout.com releasing earlier in the week its rankings prior to the dead period. Syracuse coming in at number 73 in the country and dead last in the ACC. You have to think that Syracuse is going to move up during this time period, right? Yeah, and because they've lost 
you know, those four guys that we mentioned earlier and the fact that there's two or three more that they might lose, that gives the new staff a lot of room to add prospects. It's going to bump that rating up, especially if they can land a guy like a four-star running back, Contrell Moran, or four-star offensive tackle, Sean Foster, or some of those other guys that I just mentioned, many of them three-star prospects that are pretty highly rated. That's going to bump that rating up. I think ultimately they'll finish somewhere around 50 to 55. They've got eight to 10 slots available right now if they lose those two or three guys they might end up with 10 to 13 spots available if they get the guys that they're targeting and you know it obviously rarely goes exactly perfectly to plan but if it does i think syracuse has a legitimate chance at a top 50 class i think they'll end up finishing somewhere in the 8 to 10 range in the acc which considering where things were and and the coaching change and the fact that they haven't had a ton of time to get onto campus and, 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 you know, get on the recruiting trail and get the guys that they want. I would say it was a pretty good job by the new staff, especially if there's five or six decommitments. They're able to keep the, the guys that uh, were committed to the Schaefer staff that were the most highly thought of, the the uh, Mo Neals and the Rex Culpeppers, and then add in their own guys. If they end up with a class that's a top 50 class nationally, I think that most Syracuse fans should be quite happy with that. I think they'll be somewhere around there, and if they can get the guys that they want, they've got a real shot at, at hitting that mark. Well, one thing Syracuse fans should always be happy about is hearing from Mike McAllister from Scout.com and CuseNation.com. If you're not subscribed to Mike's information, you are missing out on, simply put, the best recruiting information around. Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We'll talk to you soon. You're the best, Wes. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Mike, as always. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online senior columnist and NBA TV's very own Matt D'Agostino. Matt, how are you today? Wesley, I'm good, man. How are you? Matt, Syracuse with a disappointing 84-72 to loss to St. John's on Sunday at Madison Square Garden. 5 of 26 shooting from downtown, 19 of 31 from the free throw line. It was just a very frustrating afternoon for the Orange overall. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty similar to the Georgetown game in a lot of ways where Syracuse was in the ball game, you know, 9 points down, 11 points down, plenty of time left on the clock, and you're waiting for them to not even mount a, a run. You're waiting for that one shot where they kind of break over the hump and, and, and get back in, get back to a six-point game, an eight-point game. Just cut it to single digits, something to show some signs of life, and whether it's Trevor Cooney or Michael Dinajay or uh, Malachi Richardson, all these guys, uh, they're getting shots up. They're just not going in and can never quite get over that hump. And St. John's and Georgetown both kind of kept Syracuse at bay much of the second half of both those games. And now that Syracuse is mostly out of its non-conference schedule, I don't think that much is going to change over the course of the season when they get into ACC play in terms of their inconsistency. I think this is what it's going to be like all season for the Orange. They look great in the Bahamas, beating UConn and Texas A&M, and now they've lost to Georgetown, Wisconsin, and as we just mentioned before, St. John's. It just seems like ACC play, they can beat anyone, but they can also lose to anyone. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's that's indicative of a, a younger team. They've got you know, a few guys that are that are freshmen getting significant minutes, um, and they're getting used to big time basketball. They're getting used to D one basketball. They're getting used to uh, you know uh, rank opponents now, rivalry games with Georgetown and St. John's. Um, and and you're right, the ACC slates uh, coming up upon them, and it's going to be much the same thing. Um, and, and I think you know a, a big thing that is, is being talked about and is certainly recognized and I think is having 
a significant impact is going from Jim Beheim to Mike Hopkins. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, some expected growing pains along with that. And I don't think there's, there's anything uh, wrong or shameful uh, about it. I just think it's, it's the nature of the beast, the, the hand that they were dealt by the NCAA, um, that they're all going through this now. So you've even got a young coach in terms of head coaching experience trying to get his feet wet, and everybody's trying to do this all at the same time. Matt, I want to pick your brain now. As I mentioned before, you work for NBA TV. You're an Emmy Award winner. You're an NBA insider. So I want to get your take on Tyler Lydon and Michael Benajay. Lydon, 11 points, 10 rebounds against St. John's. Michael Benajay stuffed the stat sheet. 21 points, 7 assists, 3 steals, 2 assists. Where do you see them stacking up in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I was curious. Uh, I've heard more people talking about Lydon as a legitimate NBA prospect. Uh, more so than any other player on this year's team so far to this point. Um, but you're right. You know, Michael Benajay, I think, is the most uh, polished product that Syracuse can offer the NBA next year. Uh, and I, I was curious. I was, I was checking out uh, mock draft sites just to get a lay of the land of where these guys are falling on those uh, websites. And Benajay is, you know, early second round, which is kind of where you expect he's. He's not a a flashy guy, but he's a guy who does everything well. He's got good size. He's shown he can handle point guard duties if need be, so he can be a combo guard in the NBA. Um, And he does a lot of things well. He can score. He can distribute. uh, He can play a little defense. And he's got some length. So all those things I think will bode well for him, uh, you know, if he were to have any sort of NBA career. But Leiden's the interesting one. Uh, uh, Talks of a one and done, I think, are maybe a bit premature. And I haven't seen him posted on any mock draft boards anywhere yet. I think you know people are still waiting to see a little bit more from him. But I mean, goodness, I mean, he's got size, he's got athleticism, he's got range on his shot. He can do a whole lot of things, uh, much more than than I even thought, uh, you know, coming into the season that we would see from him, especially this early on. I think in that tournament in the Bahamas, uh, I think he opened a lot of people's eyes, including mine, that. You know, he's got some legitimate skills there that could translate to the next level. Matt, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go back to the coaching situation. Uh, I There is not a doubt in my mind that Mike Hopkins is the right guy to take over for Jim Beheim whenever that time comes. Um, but it is, uh, it is certainly a situation where there's a noticeable difference that Beheim is not roaming those sidelines uh, for the Syracuse basketball team. Um, you know, they'll still have to deal with it for a trend. And Mike Hopkins is, is everything that I personally, I think a lot of fans would want to see in the next Syracuse coach. But right now, um, the, the product is not as good as it would be with Jim Bayheim. I think we've seen a noticeable difference. And that is not anything uh, criticizing Hopkins at all. I have loved the guy ever since I went to basketball camp at Syracuse in ninth grade. Um, everything about him, his energy, his spirit, uh, great recruiting skills, his people skills are everything that you would look for in a coach. And the fact that he's so familiar with Syracuse, I think, is going to bode very well for him when the time comes. Uh, but there is there is a noticeable absence on that bench for Syracuse right now, and I think it's showing uh, in the box scores. I think it's showing in the records. I think it's showing in a lot of things right now for Syracuse. Matt, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse punter and Heisman candidate Riley Dixon, who accepted a spot in the Senior Bowl earlier this week. 
Dixon, one of the most beloved Syracuse football players of all time. Who can ever forget him hurtling LSU corner Kevin Tolliver earlier in the year? The guy's going to play on Sundays. I just wish him nothing but the best of luck. Hope to see him play soon. That's it for us. For Matt D'Agostino, this is Wes Chang reminding you that I never wanted to believe my dad was stealing from his job as a road worker, but when I got home, all the signs were there. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV podcast network. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.